0: Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast where we talk about faith, life, Bible, ministry, and try and have uncut and honest conversations about those topics. So Mm -hmm. um, today we're going to be kind of talking about, don't really know what we'll we'll title this episode yet, but maybe something along the the, the lines of like, Celebrity pastor or the cult of pastors or something like that.
1: Church, yeah. It's a good point. It's difficult to know what to kind of title it or how to even talk about it. Mm -hmm. Where do do we categorize it? Do we categorize it in like the realm of things that happen in the church that shouldn't? Or is it a particularly like personal – or individual, not individual, but like as an individual's issue, or yeah, not
0: so. yeah. It well, so like, well, I guess we'll just kind of share the context of like why we're even talking about this. We sat down here and were like record, and we were just catching up, and we just kind of ended up starting talking about it, and we were like, maybe we should just turn on the mics, turn on the mics, yeah. Um, and the thing that brought up the conversation was, um, just last night I went and saw. Uh, Jesus Revolution, which is a, a movie that's currently out in theaters right now, follows the start of – we're kind of like the start of Calvary Chapel and the Jesus People Movement, which was a co-movement that happened alongside the hippie revolution during the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um I'm somewhat familiar with some of the ethos behind some of that cuz the congregate cuz the congregation and like the denomination affiliation I grew up in was sort of birthed out of kind of the overflow or the tail end of the Jesus People movement. Um and you know, essentially it's hippies who tried drugs but found Jesus instead. Um, it's like, like, I don't know how else to describe the beginning of the Jesus people movement, especially after having watched that movie. That's the movie color kind of colors it as that, as people who, um, were hippies were trying to do everything that they could and find enlightenment and love and found it lacking and then found Jesus instead. And that created a, and out of that comes a lot of our modern Church sensibilities um, in ways that we're maybe not even fully aware of. Like we could even just spend a lot of time talking about the the history of modern contemporary music and how that that was kind of birthed out of all of that. And um, but I watched this movie that's in movie theaters right now, Jesus Revolution, and it was interesting because of it's a well made, well produced uh, movie, and it even. Um, approaches some interesting topics for uh, a Christian movie, some topics Christian movies wouldn't typically talk about. Like what, what kind of stuff? Um, like it kind of approaches, like it, there's sort of three main characters, I would say, uh, two of which were pastors who were heavily involved in starting the Calvary Chapel movement, um, and then one who is kind of in his journey to. Discover Christ and kind of this beginning steps into ministry. Which, um, so like, just for context, all of that, like, um, you've got Lonnie Frisbee, who was kind of this hippie. Jesus guy. And then you've got Chuck. I don't remember his last name, but he was a pastor at Calvary Chapel. And these two pastors kind of co together. Uh, Chuck Smith. Yeah, Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith, okay. Started the kind of this movement in California. It grew. They were in this massive tent having nightly meetings for years, baptizing hundreds of people a week in California at, at this beach. Like, so it kind of follows them. And the movie doesn't paint them as perfect people. Mm-hmm. right the movie allows some of their faults to show through the movie kind of uh maybe slightly hints at some of the other faults or kind of just ignores them or wasn't inside of the scope of the film if i'm going to be generous around like well why didn't they talk about that well that wasn't and that didn't happen with inside the time frame of the movie or something like that um, but it allows to kind of bring forth this idea or perhaps the thesis of saying well like maybe God uses broken people. And that's like, how do we deal with complex people who impact our following towards faith and towards Jesus and are really helpful and are doing God's work, but end up at the end of the day being broken in some way and still being used by God, which I think is a really interesting message. But they still kind of softballed it a Mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing that the, the other character who's kind of having his faith journey through this whole movie kind of goes through a hero's journey. Um, it's essentially the movie kind of ends, be, kind of summarizes and becomes a, like a, his version of his testimony mm-hmm. is pastor Greg Laurie, who you may or may not know of. I'm somewhat, I maybe heard two of his sermons. He's not someone I've yeah. listened to or paid a ton of attention to, but he is a pastor of one of the largest churches in the United States and is kind of like maybe one of the closest things to holding a modern day Billy Graham crusades. So he does – has at least in the past. I don't know if he's currently hosting, but he has had big stadium evangelistic events in yep. the vein of Billy Graham. Yeah. Um, and so I, I exited the movie with some conflicting questions and feelings and I went and I did, you know, me. I'm, I'm a film buff. I love talking about film and dissecting it and all of that. Um, and so I immediately, I'm looking at all the production history and everything. And well, Greg Laurie wrote a book called The Jesus Revolution. I think there's a co- two other authors involved in that. And then he co-produced this movie. And the question I'm kind of stuck sitting with is as much as there's some good things to maybe talk about and the movie was inspiring and sparked some great conversation. And they did some things that Christian movies haven't done before, even if they maybe kind of didn't go all the way. I'm still kind of left feeling like the movie was a bit of a uh, not, I don't want to say propaganda because that's not the right word Mm -hmm. but it kind of just casts these two pastors who are now dead Frisbee and uh, Chuck Smith Mm -hmm. in somewhat questionable light portrays them as complex whereas Greg who is a current pastor is kind of put through this very like very nice treatment, sure. Um, and I don't know that there is anything to say negatively about mm-hmm. Greg. I don't. I'm not here to like say well, yeah. But it it poses a question to me of like, if I was in Greg's shoes, or like if someone, like I don't know. I don't think my life deserves a movie. Um, but I don't know. I'm like, would I? But if it did, how would how would it be told? Yeah, how would it be told? Yeah, how and would you want to tell? How it, would right? I want to tell it? would I even want to be involved in producing the movie? Right.
1: Um, it just seems like that seems wrought with so many possibilities to be called out on the yeah. carpet for the way you make it or what you put in it or what you don't or right, whatever. And that, you and know? that's,
0: and some, you could definitely talk about that as far as this movie. Cause like, sure. Um, do you, if you do more looking into Chuck Smith and, lonnie uh frisbee you would find more things of like that seems you know so they skated over some things and you're just kind of i don't know it kind of felt like you right. know greg kind of walks out as this like you know star amongst broken people a mm-hmm. little bit sure so but that is it's less this isn't uh, like a
1: so we're not we're not here to talk about we're not here to talk distribution about about greg, or greg Laurie.
0: Or, Greg Laurie, but merely is just kind of a a jumping off point of like, celebrity pastor is like a thing. It's, and like, it's been a complex thing since, I mean, for a while, but I feel like every year at this point, we're seeing multiple articles, you Mm -hmm. know, or public scandals surrounding Mm -hmm. This pastor, this pastor, this church group. I think there's like, what, two or three documentaries about Hillsong now. Um, You know, just all these different things. And, like, it's something that I think we as pastors have thoughts about. And we hear people have these conversations and people are wrestling through them. And so we want to kind of enter into that a little bit.
1: One of the things that I think is important to note is that when you talk about celebrity celebrity pastors, mm-hmm. you're usually talking about pastors who have pretty – I mean, I guess it makes sense by virtue of numerics or um, platforms yes. or whatever, mm-hmm. that they have really, really large – ministries yes greg Laurie has a really large ministry you know um and other pastors that you would be like if you just were walking down the street and you say you know hey can you name a pastor they might someone might name a celebrity pastor a big right. influential yeah, pastor yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what happens i think is that there is a false perception that that's the norm in Christianity. Mm-hmm. That there is that Christianity is made up of
0: large, thousands
1: and thousands of large, large churches, conglomerations, mm-hmm. churches as corporations and businesses with yeah. charismatic CEOs at the helm. Yep. And so, what you see at Elevation is the same thing. You're going to see at Calvary Chapel yep, is the yep. same thing. You're going to see at um, Harvest Bible Chapel or Trinity church in Scottsdale or wouldn't name yeah. your mega church yeah, yeah, right, yeah. is the same thing that you're going to see at a church in Jamestown, New York mm-hmm. or right. Columbus, Ohio, yep. or whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah. Well, I think like an interesting, something that might surprise people. Right. Cause like if we, like when some, you ask somebody like, like if I were to come up to somebody <coughs> and ask them like, okay, well, like what size church do you attend? Mm -hmm. And say they attend a church of about 100 people. They would say, well, I attend a pretty small church. That's a
1: pretty big church.
0: Yeah, statistically, actually, that's close to average. The Mm -hmm. average church, like if you take all of the churches across America and you average the size of them, Mm -hmm. right, the average size would be somewhere around to 100 to 150 people. And a significant portion of churches exist, 100 people or less. And even the the biggest
1: Christian churches in the world are not in the United States. Right.
0: Yeah. They're, I think, like South Korea.
1: Yeah. South Korea, some very large Christian churches in China, even.
0: Yes. Underground. Yes.
1: Extraordinarily large Christian churches in Africa. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we we get a sense of, like, oh, Christianity is America's religion, and that's why we have all these big megachurches here. Well, one, it's not, and that's a, it's not America's religion. That's a topic for another podcast. Yeah. But also like, it's not, it's not, when you, when you say, you I go to a church of 100 people, like you said, that's a, it's an average or even above average in some,
0: some, some some, places.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so we, I think it's because of the public visibility of large churches. They're the churches that we tweet, talk about, end up in the news we begin to get this sense of like, oh, like, you know, church. Like, if a church is successful, like, it will just default to being the average church, which is this large, multi-hundred or sometimes multi-thousand mm-hmm. type church. And I think statistically and historically, like, maybe need to set some context and just say that's not normal, or that's not. not it's not an accurate portrayal of even this fact. Or the state of the church across yeah. America.
1: Yeah. Nor does it. Nor does it indicate, you know, a church that is. Let me be careful here. Like that is overwhelmingly blessed, as opposed to a church of like, like okay, God is obviously blessing the church of two thousand, right, and not blessing the church of one hundred. Yes. Or like God is, you know, the church of two thousand is doing something right. The Church of 100 is doing something wrong. Something wrong. And that's why they are the different sizes. There's so many, so many factors that go into church size. Mm -hmm. And most of them are inconsequential to the mission of the church itself Mm -hmm. that it's almost not worth talking about.
0: Yeah. But it is worth saying, like we're not I don't I don't want us to get into the trap of I feel like the large church can look at all the small churches and say, it's just not faithfully executing the mission. Like mm-hmm. you're you're stuck in your ways, you're not willing to reach the people. Like we can they can make some assumptions and mm-hmm. kind of uh, straw man mm-hmm. and kind of be accusatory of like you're not reaching people for Christ like we are. And then the small church equally can look at the large church and say Say the same things and say the same thing. Like you're just compromising. You're you're not reaching people for Jesus. You're just gathering people. None of that's a whole bunch of weeds in your church. Not a lot of harvest. Like Mm -hmm. you know, that's all just you know. And so both ends of the spectrum can get a holier than thou perspective and look down or up at each other or cross the aisle. Yeah. And point fingers. And so I don't want us to fall into that trap.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not interested in doing that because I think any pastor, I'm really skeptical of any pastor who would say, I don't want to grow. I don't want my church to grow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Right? I Like, why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. Well, we're like, we're every, in,
1: a- you know, it's every, you know, it, th- those are people
0: mm-hmm.
1: and your church grows by people. And if people are here to hear the gospel, then, yeah, that's a great thing. Yep. And would I rather preach the gospel to 2,000 people or would I rather preach the gospel to 50 people? Well, I like the more people that hear the gospel, the better, right? So yeah. it's not universally a bad thing.
0: No,
1: um, So it's just a it, – there there are more – there. there's more to the conversation that exists there. But the, I think the point that we wanted to make today was not even necessarily about
0: church growth, church growth or yeah. church
1: size. In as much as we wanted to talk about what kind of what happens when a church grows to a certain point, and usually that usually I'm not aware of any I'm not aware, it doesn't mean they don't exist. I'm not aware of any large churches. And when we say mega church, you typically are meaning over two thousand people. Yes. I'm not aware of any mega churches that are that exist that don't have one central mm-hmm. kind of mass notable public figure, charismatic mm-hmm. leader or figure to yeah. them, um, and when that happens, it becomes very easy. As we've seen, I think throughout you know throughout the last several decades, uh, it, it becomes very easy to see that those those figures they're magnified in their influence mm-hmm. what happens at the same time is that that magnified influence begins to reveal humanity their humanity mm-hmm. and those who follow those those leaders can get kind of uncomfortable with the humanity of their Christian leader being revealed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so they, I think try to magnify their holiness Mm -hmm. and put them in a place that is kind of above reproach or not needing accountability because look at how significant their ministry is or, um, or, or even refusing to believe that, Hey, this person is, Flawed. Flawed, a human, mm-hmm. uh, a sinner in need of God's grace, yeah. um, someone whom God both is and will mm-hmm. hold accountable. Someone who is not above the um, the truth of God's word in terms of accountability structures within right. the church, uh, and and so when. And that personality gets elevated, 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 and then something happens—a big reveal happens mm-hmm. about their something that they did, or something that they said, or whatever the case may be—an yeah. illicit relationship, whatever—and mm-hmm. there, and the character comes like crashing down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It causes a lot of, causes a lot of, it dysregulates people. Quite significantly and not just not just individuals in their own personal faith. Like I followed, like they led me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. How could how could they do that? How could that happen? And now what does that say about my own faith? Yes. But then it completely dysregulates and has has the ability to really turn upside down. A whole church.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think, I, I think probably the most significant example that we have most recently is what happened at Mars Hill.
0: Yeah. Probably like biggest profile. Yeah. One that's been talked about the most and the longest is Mars Hill. Yeah. For sure.
1: That's you know, pastor Mark Driscoll. You know, he's he continues to be a pastor down in Scottsdale, yeah. uh, Arizona, a new church down there at Trinity, but a pretty serious, like, um, accus- accusation, accusation,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there was no there was no singular right. like like a lot of times there's usually like a singular thing or like scandal mm-hmm. for Mark I think is unique in that it was like a consistent it like the narrative was that it was a consistent character of just harshness and and domineering and yeah. And, and things not becoming of pastoral leadership.
1: Yeah. Um, and in some cases you see stuff like that happen and maybe a pastor is removed from ministry mm-hmm. and the church um, takes and they they have, you know, not a succession plan, but they, you know, they install a new pastor and that pastor leads and they try to lead through that transition and yeah. they, they work through it and it's difficult and it's hard, but the church survives because the church is, you know, Belongs to Jesus. Well, in Mars Hill's case, the church that Mark pastored, um,
0: mostly dissolved.
1: It. it not I mean, even, it, did, it dissolve. did dissolve. Like, right. and, and we're not talking about. We're talking about like twelve locations mm-hmm. and tens and tens of thousands of people. Yeah,
0: um, I think there's a few campuses that still exist as autonomous yeah. churches, but that's the minority by the name Mars Hill, by the name or, or, right. or something, or they probably even changed their names, yeah. but like. They they were able to hold a congregation together, um, and and still manage to continue to be churches today, but not very many of them from my memory. Yeah. So that, that kind of But they, dis- they they dispersed into individual right. churches. They didn't remain a right. church as they were.
1: Right. And Mark took some time off of ministry, I yeah. know, and he I think he spent some time at Gateway mm-hmm. down in Texas. Um And I don't know, you know, obviously I don't know Mark and I don't like, I don't know.
0: We've never met the guy. No.
1: And there's been, there's been aspects of his ministry that have been a blessing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is, again, it's not about Mark in particular, Um, but, um, uh, but, one of the things that happened in that whole situation, I think, is um, indicative of what can often happen is that when when there is one singular personality that is at the helm or the center of all things church, mm-hmm. and that personality comes crashing down, what happens to the church? Mm-hmm. And when you build a system that fully relies only on the pastor that is there, yep. and then all of a sudden the pastor is not there anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, what happens? Mm-hmm. Well, in Mars Hill's case, it all like it all came crashing down. Yeah, right? not from just his leadership, but the you know the church, mm-hmm. the church as well.
0: Yeah. So there's the the large organizational fallout that a church can experience, and then there's also just that personal, individual ex- like fallout that can happen mm-hmm. of like, which I feel like we've just heard. I I've heard that. I've seen those social media posts. I've seen or heard that like that that pastor just like let me down
1: Mm -hmm.
0: by having a moral failure. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just like, I can't trust church or I can't like there becomes this like moving away from church or even a wholesale questioning that can lead to a wholesale questioning of religion and faith in Jesus and I think that really begins to get at the I guess at the point of and, and and a question I think we have to ask ourselves is like if if a leader that you're following, listening to is, of your church um fails in some way and
1: which they will
0: which they will right.
1: And right. they do. Yeah, they do. And sometimes right. it's super public. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's just private. Mm-hmm. But they will fail. They will and fail. They
0: and then that becomes that becomes a reason for you to question your relationship with Jesus. Question that resonates in my heart at that moment was: Were you a disciple of Jesus, or were you a disciple of this person? Yes. And that's where, like that, where I think really crystallizes for us the question of celebrity pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, um, when I was I was job hunting for this position or position in churches, I would run across um, and was in conversation with other people who were also looking for jobs and. Um, You know, they would run across these churches and they were just like, well, you know, and you could read the job description. You're like, we want, and they would describe a celebrity pastor. They were like, we want somebody who's going to, you know, be a charismatic speaker. It's going to write books. Who's going to do this. And like people will craft their job descriptions for a church or a pastor that they're looking for. As, because there is a belief that if we can just get a – someone who looks like a celebrity pastor, who's got this big personality, massive speaking gifts, maybe massive writing gifts, our church will be successful. Yeah, And so, I don't know. I think there's this unhealthy assumption happening in some places where that's what a pastor should be. Right. Or must be.
1: Yeah. Certainly, um, you know, when, while you were saying all that, I was just like kind of internally asking myself the question, like, when, when did that become preferable to someone who just faithfully and consistently and persistently in the simplicity of their own life um, lead you to follow? Jesus,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like at what point have we come to prefer the figurehead at the center or the top of the top of the heap rather than the person that just consistently, faithfully, simply, and even maybe behind the curtain, many of the times points you to faith in Jesus? Yeah, and I wonder mm-hmm. if there's a little bit of this. Um, from a theological perspective, a little bit of like a salvation by association feeling going on, Hmm. you know, like the closer I am to this seemingly super important, super close to God person. It, it puts a, you know, it puts a value on creates a value statement about my own personal salvation. Yeah. Right. And if, well, if I'm, if I'm just being led by the typical less than 100 people in their church yep. pastor who is praying for you every day. Knows is, your name. Knows your name, you know, is, you know, like faithfully teaching God's word, is working in the context of a small community of people. Like, well, I can't be like, I can't grow in my relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm through their leadership yeah it's got th- it's got to be through the the guy's book mm-hmm. who I'm you know like the pastor who who writes the book or the books or has the TV ministry or the you know huge following
0: yeah Whatever. it's 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 both an association to the person and association with the church yeah probably like we want to be at this like they it's like an excitement high mm-hmm that we can almost get off of being with that really charismatic upfront public leader, or that really like dynamic, large, constantly growing, expanding new campus, new this, new that church. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I don't know that like when did that shift happen? I have, I have, I have a, a, who is someone who is now a good friend. We when I was pastoring in Chicago as an associate pastor, very small church, mm-hmm. like church plants, like less than 50 people. Um, and they came and they became part of the community and part of the church. And I remember they came up to me and they were like, this is so weird for me. They're like, I like didn't think I was gonna like a small church. I was like why? And they were like, "Well, I've only ever grown up in these large churches, um, and like it's." And they were like, "It's so special that you know my name, and that you talk with me, and we have dinner together, yeah. and like when you preach, like there's a there's such a personal like element to it." And I was, and she, I asked her, I was like, "Well, did you know your previous pastor?" And they were like, "Well." No, like – His name. His name. Yeah. I don't think we ever had a conversation together. Like they were always insulated by so many layers of people that like, you know, to be like inside of the same room as this pastor with 50 other people would have been like – Huge. Huge. I'm like, holy cow. Like I'm so close to this pastor. But like on a regular basis, like, you know, to be with 50 people separated from the pastor was a big deal. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is a, like, and that was their norm. Yeah. And so coming into the small church, being very dubious and very doubtful of whether or not they could actually grow or benefit or thrive in a small church because it was so different from their norm. Like, like I'm like, for me, that is mind boggling and was just an indicator that something has shifted at some point. Yeah.
1: And I want to be clear too that I think the some of the responsibility, or a great, a great percentage of the responsibility of the creation of celebrity pastors is our fault, mm-hmm. not theirs.
0: Tell me more about that. I think I know I know what you're saying, but keep yeah. going.
1: So we could make we could make the assumption or the statement that okay, like. Um, you have this charismatic figure who is like sets out to be. I am going to become a celebrity pastor, mm-hmm. and so they have the right hairdo, and they they learn the right preaching style, yeah. and they write the they write a book, right? and somehow all the stars align and they magically ascend to the top of a megachurch or they build a megachurch from the ground up, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, like poof. By their own initiative and hard work, they have become the quote-unquote celebrity pastor yeah. that they wanted to be for whatever reason, whether yeah. dubious reasons or really honor, God-honoring reasons, yeah. whatever.
0: Yeah. A bit of the tech startup narrative laid over top of church.
1: Correct. Yeah. Just
0: – Steve the, Jobs comes to church.
1: The hard work. Yeah. Yep. They did the hard work. Um, so there's there's that narrative. We, we, we could say that, okay, that would – That would be there. Be one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is that we as Christians, and I'm, I'm a pastor, so it's talking both ways. Both ways, yeah. Um, But that we as Christians create celebrity pastors because we need them, Mm -hmm. or no, not we need them. That's maybe the wrong word to say it, but.
0: We think we need them. We think
1: we need them, them. or the sin in our, the idolatry of our lives that is still latent in the midst of our sin creates something to worship that is tangential Mm -hmm. to Jesus, but not Jesus himself. That is right in front of us uh, that has generally – a lower standard or calling to follow yeah. than Jesus does. You know, when we if we follow a Christian celebrity pastor, it means we read their books and we listen to their podcast mm-hmm. and we retweet them when we see something that we agree with or we watch their services online. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a very, very easy, easy follow. Mm-hmm. When Jesus says, Come and follow me, he bids us come and die. Mm-hmm. You know, come, pick up your cross, follow me. Just want to let you know, I have no place to lay my head. Even foxes have holes and birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Right, right. Um, It is a, it is a followership unto death of self. And so, the, it is much easier to follow an enigmatic figure that is tangential to Jesus mm-hmm. and, and gives us a sense of proximity to Jesus without actually following Jesus himself. Yeah, And so it gives us this feeling of being like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the good thing, but it's, it's a deceitful idolatry, mm-hmm. similar to like one of the first podcast episodes that we did about um, scripture mm-hmm. and how we can fall into a tendency as Christians to – to worship the Scripture,
0: Father, Son, and Holy Bible,
1: exactly right. Yeah. Where, where that is a veiled form of idolatry mm-hmm. that worships something other than yeah. the Triune God Himself, yeah. mm-hmm. right?
0: Um, do Do you think that we're doing like? Do you feel like this is too far of a stretch? As you're sharing saying all of that, I'm like the picture that's coming to my mind is picture of the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai Mm -hmm. waiting for Moses to come back down. Okay. And they've come to this mountain. They've been led out of Egypt. They've been delivered. And, and Moses is up there. Like actually Moses invited them up there, but they didn't come. And Moses is up there and Moses spends a long time up on the mountain and getting the 10 commandments and the people, right? Aaron, Aaron, and the, and the people get restless, and they build for themselves a golden calf. Yep. And the language surrounding the introduction of that calf by Aaron to the people is, Behold, here's the golden calf that we built out of the jewelry you had. And it's it's something visible you can see. It's tangible. It's here. It's not up on the mountain. It's It's something familiar even. Behold, this is the god that led you out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they begin to worship that idol – saying that it is the God that led them out of Egypt when mm-hmm. the God that led them out of Egypt is the presence is the cloud that's more invisible up on the mountains. Scary, scary, holy, like all of those <laughs> things. Full of glory. So I guess yeah. that, like I'm just in my own biblical imagination. Mm-hmm. Are we committing a similar sin? Are we replaying a similar narrative by building golden calves out of, pastors mm-hmm. and churches and ministries and not realizing that we're subtly buying uh like a slight deviation from the God who did deliver us. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's appropriate an appropriate like connection or application. I was thinking actually as you were talking about Moses, I was thinking about when the Israelite people were clamoring for a king like all of the other nations mm-hmm. around them had. Mm-hmm. And God was like, "I'm your king." Yeah, I know. I want to be your king. It was like the most pure form of, of a theocracy you could ever have, right? But they were like, "No, no, 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 no." All of the other people around us, they have a human king. We want one of those two,
0: right? And that became a very, very complicated history for Israel.
1: Exactly. You know, God obviously works through the the uh, history of redemption to bring about Jesus through <laughs> that. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but Um, but yeah, I think uh, I I don't think that's an inappropriate I don't think that's an inappropriate, inappropriate um connection yeah connection at all. I think you know if we were to say um you know if we were to say okay maybe if we if we if we begin to dig down into what um what all of this le- leads to, I guess mm-hmm. It is a question that we, we return to a question you mentioned a little bit earlier but that we kind of skipped right over was when when my pastor fails? yes or when a pastor fails, how then could I ever be expected to trust Jesus,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the church, faith, whatever. You know, like my pastor, he fails. What now? How can I ever like, I, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I'm so hurt. I'm, I've got to leave the church or the faith or whatever. I think that, uh, there, I think that's really an important question because it happens at an absurd level, um, and the the what's happening what's happening implicitly is that there is there there is definitely a misappropriation of like the theology of pastoral ministry there. Mm-hmm. like we've we've misunderstood this person has misunderstood what a pastor is, uh, what a pastor does and doesn't do, yeah. what the expectations of them are and aren't. And, uh, and then there's been some misalignment in what the foundation of their faith is for sure, for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, and so I think to have, I think it's valuable to have some conversation around that. Um, because we, uh, we, I think we, the church may feel like they are, uh, honoring, their pastor more they're honoring their pastor by deifying him more. Yeah. Uh -uh. You know, and Mm -hmm. you know, like the the higher that they, the higher that they elevate their opinion or understanding or viewpoint of them. Yeah. Um, like that's what we're supposed to do. Right. Mm -hmm. But we actually, we actually put pastors in a lot of danger when we do that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, when we have an expectation of their uh, their relationship with Jesus, yes. their character, their life—that okay. is anything other than still human, mm-hmm. still sinful, yes, still needing of repentance and confession mm-hmm. of their sin,
0: mm-hmm.
1: still screwing up. Um, still relying on Jesus every single day, every single breath for the grace necessary to continue leading. Now that's not to say that there are not increased standards for Christian conduct, for holiness that Mm -hmm. pastors must have. That's clear in scripture. That's that's not, there's not even an argument there, but that is not to completely divorce that. From the reality that, um, that we as pastors we are we are men who must ask every day for the you know renewed and refreshed forgiveness of the mm-hmm. Lord as we repent of our sins as we confess to Him as we trust once again in His grace and mercy and salvation in our lives mm-hmm. we turn our back on sin walk towards uh, relationship with God and every time we expect that our pastors are someone other than that. Mm-hmm. we put them in extraordinary danger like somehow that they are that they are exempt from the the human frailty of sin mm-hmm. and all the ways that we see sin manifested in normal people's lives yes pastors are are perfectly capable of sinning just as great and in some cases i believe mm-hmm. even more so yes
0: yeah i so I want to try I want to try and venture and say something that I haven't heard very many people say and so and I want to say it I want to say it well so okay um, so let's take for example Ravi Zacharias mm. who is now dead but pr- early prior to his death and then post his death have come a whole lot of revelation about a very sinful and destructive life he was living behind the scenes yes. And oh, it makes me sick to my stomach. It, it does. It is probably like I, I read the full report that was released to the public by his, by his ministry after his death, and they did like a personal investigation, and everything was – I mean, it was awful. Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous things that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that I think terrified me the most about that report was the report ended saying there's more, but that was not the task of what we were – tasked to investigate, but everything we have investigated and found indicates that there is more wrongdoing or a greater depth of what we found than what we did find. Mm -hmm. But we were simply asked to verify if there was, we weren't, they weren't tasked to be exhaustive. Mm -hmm. And so they stopped their investigation at a point. And that was, that for me was probably the most like shaking sentence out of that entire document which you can read online and all of that stuff. So I I say all of this not in any way to excuse the awful things that Ravi Zacharias committed and did and how he very much harmed people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I am left with a question, right? I I listened to many of his sermons and benefited from them, and he seemed to preach the gospel and to elevate Jesus – and there is that question of how did he get to a place of such darkness, brokenness, evil, mm-hmm. and sin. Mm-hmm. Now this is all absolute speculation, but I wonder if at some point, right, like we we always like the more that um you don't get somewhere you get you get to a place like that slowly. Yeah and over time. Yes.
1: A thousand small decisions, not one big
0: one. One, yeah, a thousand small decisions in order to get there. And my question is, is like, at what point did, was there a point at which he, and there has to have been this massive divide inside of him personally, knowing what he was doing and in the public figure that he was Mm -hmm. putting forward, at what point did he want to get off that that road he was going down? And I wonder that if the pedestal, the uh, the almost deification mm-hmm. of him, of being like this public, you know, pastor and speaker who is just like so close to God and he's just so awesome, did that keep him from turning around at some point?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What did it become more difficult for him to? experience accountability, uh, re- make a choice of repentance because of the celebrity culture that was surrounding him. Yeah, And so I guess to kind of dovetail, try, what I'm trying to say and trying to put it is to clarify what I think you were saying of when we elevate our pastors to this place of they must be perfect. Does that, actually put them in a cage that could prevent them because of guilt and shame from confessing, confessing, repenting,
1: repenting.
0: Yeah. And like, um, without, without the fear, like what, what would have happened if, if right, this is all speculation, but in an alternate universe, if Ravi much earlier in that journey down that thousands of decisions had like repented and gotten help, Mm-hmm and was that possibility perhaps prevented not again i'm not excusing his behavior no. his choice should have been to have repented and got help yeah. he didn't um,
1: <coughs> or were there were
0: there i mean i don't know I, and i haven't read the
1: report to be honest with you, so i don't like i can't speak to whether this was a reality or not but i would have to imagine that there were other people
0: there were other people that people.
1: saw what was going on you know, they they
0: they ran up against it and they were like this is weird and he would like push back and like push them away right off accountability and there was like oh okay well
1: well yeah and like it's, it's something like that where we say we we kind of begin to make a rationalization mm-hmm. that like well all of the good that we're doing all of the good that the ministry is doing all of the hope that it is offering, the proclamation of the gospel Was was Robbie preaching the gospel? Sure as heck was, right? His personal life was not aligning with the principles of the gospel, but the proclamation was there.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And so do people, maybe you have a person who has come to faith through Robbie's preaching or Mm -hmm. through his ministry now asking, is my faith even legitimate? Right. And I would say, Yes, mm-hmm. it is because your faith is never in Ravi to begin with, yeah. right? Um, but there would could be this sense of those who were seeing it, but not, but like, but who were close enough to Ravi to be like, well, you know, he's doing so much good. There's yeah. there's some bad here, of course, and if if the bad comes out even more, then the good will stop, and so we'll just kind of like, eh, I don't just, like it, but we're gonna let it ride,
0: right? See, he's so gifted that we just got to let him be on the leash, or let let him be off the leash. Yeah. Um,
1: but there's a thing, you know, I and I, I read this to you before we started about mm-hmm. celebrity pastors being a brand. Yeah. Um, and
0: personal brand is a, a personal big thing. brand.
1: Mm-hmm. And what is the name of Robbie Zacharias' ministry? Ravi Zacharias, Zacharias. Ministries. ministries yeah. yeah, so he was the brand. Yes, he was. And brands don't take action against themselves because mm-hmm. it's counterintuitive to the purpose of the brand, yeah. which is to elevate the brand. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, built in even to the like reality of well, Ravi's at the center of it all. Ravi's at the center of it all mm-hmm. is an inability to. Not an inability, but an unwillingness to to take action against itself, mm-hmm. even when the consequences are eternal. Yeah. Um, and that's not even to say, like, that's not even to make, I don't even want to get into the question of like, well, what do we think about Ravi's salvation?
0: Oh, gosh. Like, questions that can't be answered, right?
1: Cannot be answered.
0: Right. The, that's why my whole comment is yeah. speculative. Right. But it does serve to... Point towards the danger that this elevating pastors to something beyond just beyond a fellow Christian, Mm -hmm. yes, is dangerous, not just for us but for them.
1: It's dangerous, I would say, elevating pastors beyond the place that scripture elevates them, yes, is dangerous, you know, because. We, I, I would agree that we have higher standards for character and conduct and holiness than right. others do, right. which is why in situations of moral failure or, you know, um, like significant issues in leadership or anything mm-hmm. like that, that it is appropriate at times to take corrective mm-hmm. and e- even like um, organizational action against yep. someone who has not met those standards. Mm-hmm. That, that, that doesn't, that doesn't exonerate us from operating in a spirit of grace. Sure. A spirit of truth, a heart of love for that person. But yeah. it certainly does not leave us just being, you know, like willy Permissive. Dilly, permissive,
0: right. Um, gullible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah.
1: Right. Um, so to the person who would say, you know, like, well, my pastor has failed. Like, how can I trust or how can I go? Uh, to church any longer. You know, the, the first thing I, you know, encounter them with a tremendous level of um, grace Mm -hmm. and, and sorrow over uh, the, the ways in which they've been not, not necessarily deceived, but, you know, misled in terms of where, as you grow as a Christian, where is your faith being, where is your faith being placed and the role one of the roles of the pastor is always like deflecting attention away from themselves into Jesus, yeah. right? John the Baptist, he must increase, John I must decrease, 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 right, uh, all the time. So, and anytime anyone is, you know, giving giving praise, right? You know, we're 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 seeking to guide that praise to the right place. Yep. You know, like don't place it here. Right. Not, not on my shoulders, like, or I'm thankful that you maybe recognize that God is has a calling on my life. yeah I appreciate that. It's it's helpful for me. Sure, it's we encouraging to me. We work hard. right
0: but Seek I am, the Lord on your behalf. Right. But I am not Jesus. I am
1: not Jesus. You know, I am I am not Him. So, um, and so it becomes a, a point of like. Um, it, i think it's a per, it is a personal ministry philosophy to continue to remind people of that and to do that mm-hmm. and to uphold that all the time 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 um and so step number one like well how do you is that when we as as pastors we we, we must be continually doing that so that we don't run the risk of people's faith being in us right rather than that being in jesus yeah and then we center our ministries around that reality too.
0: Mm-hmm. Way we structure,
1: I could be gone tomorrow from this place. Yes, the gospel would still be preached on Sunday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, yeah. and then the next week, and the next week, and the next, and the next, and the next, right? Because the central figure here is not me. The central figure is Jesus mm-hmm. all the time, right? Um, and
0: and we, I, I think, like I don't know, probably the average is at least once a month from the stage, we try and say something to the fact of we're not perfect. Yeah. Like we-
1: don't so, rely on me for your salvation. Right.
0: Like, cause we're not.
1: No. Mm-mm. Um. So it seems weird to say, maybe it doesn't sound, maybe it's not weird to say is that I think the most surefire way to protect yourself as a regular <laughs> church going person from being disappointed by your pastor is having a proper theology of sin mm-hmm. to understand the universality of sin,
0: yeah.
1: the depth of sin, the humanity of your pastors, yeah. um, and then understanding that they are they're men accountable by God, yep. uh, accountable Very to God, accountable. yep, and accountable to the church, mm-hmm. um, and um, and then. And then ensuring that they are discipling you to Jesus rather than themselves. They should be talking more about Jesus than they should be talking about themselves. It's maybe a little oversimplification, but I think you get the point here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a um, – I think this is a point from a book by Eugene Peterson. I can't remember which book, but he talks about an applied theology of total depravity. Mm. And for some of our listeners, they just got really excited because they said the word total depravity. <laughs> um. Oh, <feminism! laughs> Right, right, right. But the <sighs> for those who don't know, total depravity is the belief that like sin touches all aspects of yeah. a person. Like Not that we're as evil as we could be, but that sin touches all of me and touches everyone. Yeah. And so a lot of times that stays as kind of like a part, part of an argument in a theological system and doesn't be much more. But if we take that and we decide to apply that, that means that when I encounter someone person who's sitting in the pew next to me this is something that like us we as pastors have to have very integrated into our hearts and i think we do here is that when someone comes to us and says you know what like i got this problem in my life i've got sin i've got brokenness we're not shocked because that's humanity yeah that's what the bible teaches yep. that's what total depravity means yep. And so we are constantly. I am constantly. I feel like trying to tell people, like the sin that you are almost absolutely afraid to name, that you think you're the only person in the room. I've heard it. Heard it. <laughs> you're not going to surprise me if yeah, anything. Yeah. No, I, I, I. No one is going to walk into a room like I. I have like I have purposely exposed myself to just about everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not naive mm-hmm. about human nature. No. I will not be surprised by what you have to say. Yep. I've probably heard it before. Yep. And I think there's a little bit of an applied theology there of mm-hmm. sin and understanding that all people are touched by it. Mm-hmm. All lives have been affected by it. Mm-hmm. And all of us are being redeemed from it by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that does apply to pastors. Oh, of course. Right. Grant, yeah. And again, like we're doing this, the balancing act of saying like, Pastors are human. There is a standard through which pastors are called. Sure. I mean,
1: but we could do we could probably do a whole episode on a whole podcast episode on um paths of restoration for pastors. Sure.
0: Yeah. Or even just opening up or the Bible. For people. Yeah. For people. Yeah. <laughs> we know, could like, do that too. <laughs> how do
1: how do how do we get from a place of like failure in sin yeah. to maybe reconciliation with God and others? Yeah. Because reconciliation with God is like the gospel, the gospel, and it's virtually instantaneous upon um, true repentance and confession. Yeah, you know, um, reconciliation with others tends to be a little bit more complicated. Yep, not because we have higher standards of reconciliation than God does, but but because yeah. our own sinfulness then stands as like landmines in our willingness to reconcile Mm -hmm. with others. And so sometimes it's just a little bit more complex or difficult.
0: And there's a lot of gray. Like I I think something I I think we probably have to continually say, like forgiveness does not mean return to the way it was before. Mm -hmm. I think like I talk with a lot of people and they're like, well, I just can't like, they hurt me so bad like i could never I'm like well yeah you could forgive them forgiveness is a choice mm-hmm. but you do not that does not necessarily mean that things go back to the way they were yeah. right and so uh, there's that whole because there's a whole question about like again like you said it could be a whole podcast episode yeah. of like does a pastor who have who has massive moral failure do they just get to come back and that's a really tough question it is. Yeah. to answer. Very
1: complicated.
0: Very yeah. complicated. Yeah. Very gray. Yeah, um, but it's not a de facto sure assurance. But we do have to, as Christians, continue to actually practice the gospel.
1: Of, and, yeah, of course.
0: With everyone inside the
1: church. Yeah, pastors included. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. Well, maybe we should write that down as a yeah. Maybe <laughs> you know, like even just this, you know, the the question of reconciliation in our non pastoral relationships with people who have done significant harm to us.
0: Yeah, and well, we could forgiveness is a massive topic. Yeah, every, I feel like every time we talk about it, people like resonate.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we've. I mean, it's not we. we pre, I it's probably one of the better sermon series that has been preached here mm-hmm. um, and I don't, know. maybe three years ago. I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll put it in the show notes if we find it when that sermon series was, but mm-hmm. you can look back on our YouTube page, conduits um, YouTube page and find um, that sermon series called break free. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, the reality, the difficulty of forgiveness, like if you are a human you're going to have to reckon with forgiveness, yep. period, mm-hmm. um, if you want to live a life that is free from offense and harm and pain caused by others. Yeah, There's no way around it. You know? yep. um, so, yeah, well, we can talk about that. We can talk about that at some point.
0: Yeah, so we covered a massive topic in one episode. I mean, not yeah. exhaustively.
1: Certainly not exhaustively. You uh, know, I, I was trying to think about – back like if you could catalog or categorize all the these moments where you you've looked at someone and you're like, Oh, geez, that was I really thought that they were different. I can remember my first celebrity pastor church scandal that I remember. Yeah. You know, and then just a litany of them down the line. And you know, I pray by God's grace that um, that both of us will be spared from you know, those experiences. And certainly it is a measure. It is a measure of God's grace that does that, but it is also a measure, measure of our own continued pursuit of holiness to Jesus. Um, and our willingness to uh, confess and repent uh, both to God and to others, our sin. Um, and I think creating a culture of, Humility and a and a and applied what, what, what the applied theology of total depravity yeah. um, that can that can be helpful in creating a culture of um, safety to do mm-hmm. that uh, in the midst of you know what the consequences may be. But um, as always, we uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Yeah listening mm-hmm. watching yep. commenting yep.
0: we love that some of you are taking us on your commutes and with you throughout the day and like you know uh, we love hearing from you guys yeah and love receiving questions and comments so yeah.
1: I think we're, we're 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 gaining on we're gaining on a on a good group of questions mm mm-hmm to have a mailbag episode yep,
0: probably here pretty quickly yeah.
1: So if you have a question or a topic not just not just a question but maybe a topic that you would sure. like us to cover um, we would try to do uh, an episode a mailbag episode where we cover several different topics or several different questions in one episode and the best way to do that is to text us We have a text line that you can text your mailbag questions to. that's 716 one zero5. Zero seven, and send those in and we will um, have a mailbag episode coming up uh, fairly soon.
0: Yeah. So. so, yep. So thank you everybody for joining us.
1: Until next time. Until next time. On the Uncut
0: Podcast. Like